Welcome to Popcorn Talk, featuring movie discussion, news, and interviews. Popcorn Talk, we talk movies. Hey everybody, I am Mary Lou Mandel, your host for On The Fly Filmmaking. Thank you for joining us again. I'm very excited today because our guest today is a first-time repeat customer, Jeff Hammer. <laughs> Hello. Thanks for coming back. Uh, yeah, great you to be back. You've seen him on our show a few weeks ago uh, with Personal Space. He was a producer of Personal Space, but today we're talking about the movie he directed and produced and wrote. That's correct. And wore all the hats. I did wear all the hats, yes. All the hats, which is awesome. That's exactly the type of filmmaker we like to talk to here on On The Fly Filmmaking. So... Let's get started. First, before we talk about your current project, Live or Die in La Honda, I want to talk about how you got to this point, how you developed as a filmmaker to the point where you could produce a full feature-length movie. Um, <clears throat> like, were you always wanting to get into filmmaking? No. No, okay. Um, no, I took kind of a circuitous route out here. So, a uh, what route? What is this? A fancy word. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, circuitous. So I uh, grew up, um, always wanting and believing I was going to be a doctor. Oh, okay. Um, and so, uh, and that's what I did after um, college. I went to medical school. Um, and partly just because of youth, partly just because I was cocky. I just thought that I could do medical school and everything else that I wanted to do, including um, writing. Um, like one of my majors in college was English, and I did a creative writing emphasis. So I started dabbling, but it was always kind of, all right, this will keep me well-rounded when I go pursue medicine. Mm -hmm. And then got to a point where... Like, you know what? I love medicine, but I would rather do movies more. As right. crazy as that sounds. So medicine was kind of a passion. Yeah, absolutely. But not as much as a passion as storytelling. Yes. Yeah, yeah. okay. I would, I'd put that, you know, I would probably put it at two or three of things that I would most want to mm -hmm. do. And I just think it's a career that if it's not number one and clearly a number one, it's not worth the mental and physical yeah, sacrifice. Yeah, because that's hard. Yeah, yeah, it's hard. Yeah. Um, and so um, that's that's something I always go back to whenever I'm like on set and we're like, you know, we're filmmaking and then something goes wrong and everybody's stressed out. I was like, but we're not saving lives here. It's a movie like we're having a great time. But like, I feel like when you're on doctor level, yes, you are saving lives. You need to be stressed out. Yeah. Yeah. I think I think that's a great way to put it. And like, I think it's a it's a good reality check. I also did some nonprofit work, you know, before that, that just has always kept me like, you know, very level headed and like I love, you know movies and I, I love like you know trying to do all of this but i also realize it's just like a big privilege and if it all went away like i could find something else um but i'm glad i don't have to yeah <laughs> um and so after uh so I, I left with a year to go in medical school so you can debate the wisdom of that and then um I, uh, and like, isn't medical medical school is like a long time, right? It's four years. Okay, after college. it's four years. So yeah. you did three years. Yeah. Okay. And then you have to do training after that, you gotcha. know, as well. Um, okay. And so, I mean, I was, I mean, I was in rotations. Like, I, I delivered babies. Like, I scrubbed in on surgeries. So, mm -hmm. like, you know, I definitely did some of the hands-on stuff. Always under supervision, of course. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, it just got to the point where everyone finds their own way, you know, yeah. to like, you know, really wanting to pursue um, film and. I probably would have gotten to it sooner, except that I just grew up in a small town in Wisconsin. I didn't know anyone who did anything like this. Yeah. And so there was just no real kind of trajectory of how to do it. But, um, yeah, when I left medical school, like, you know, I um, drove around the country for a while just to collect my thoughts. And then I came back and wrote uh, my first script. And that was kind of the launch pad. And then I used that to get into USC's uh, MFA screenwriting program. Mm -hmm. And <laughs> so left one graduate program to come out to uh, another one. Yeah. Um, but it was, you know, it was mostly great. I mean, it, um, 
you know, when, when you do medical school, like, you know, by comparison, everything is like a lot easier and less hard. Mm -hmm. And so I was able to like completely pour myself into this and, um, make sure that I was productive as possible during that time. And then I helped, uh, you know, the program helped me hone, uh, you know, my craft, you know, I got better, you know, just surrounding yourself with other, um, film students and other writers. I mean, part of, you know, the coursework is always workshopping. And so you see other people writing things, you're writing your own stuff, you're constantly reworking it, getting better, so on and so forth. And then as soon as you leave, you learn all this great, like theory and practice in film school, but there's little to no, like, you know, business, like, you know, that's, yeah, the you know, business of film stuff. Yeah. And so, um, I mean, the reality is most people leave film school and they never get to pursue exactly what they went to film school for. And right. a lot of people, especially in L.A., they just, you know, leave. And so it's, you know, it can be a tough town and, uh, you know, just got close on, you know, things like, you know, would develop something, you know, with a production company, you know, sometimes they'll get in a studio. Um, but uh, most of the time, you know, the meetings don't like, you know, go anywhere. And sometimes they do. And you start moving forward, moving forward, moving forward. And then it stops. And eventually you just got to the point where, I was like, I just don't want to wait for someone else to tell me that I can make a movie. Um, and so I just, when I was taking a break from L.A., um, my wife was doing a fellowship up in the Bay Area for three years. And so it was a chance for me to kind of like unplug from L.A., even though I was going back pretty regularly. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, I still had a writing fellowship that I, you know, got while I was like up in the Bay. So I was going back and forth a bunch. But it also gave me time just to like decompress and write a bunch more new stuff and then I just knew that we were going to head down to LA after she was done with her fellowship and I'm like all right I would like to be coming back with a movie in the can yeah because um, at three years away from LA that's like you can really put in some good time yeah because I mean, when you're in LA like you're in like the wheel mm-hmm. so it can be hard to like get your project going here but if you can like if you, if you have some kind of job or a family thing that pulls you away from LA you can put some good work in yeah I mean I wrote a ton while I was up in La Honda. I mean, mm-hmm. it's only like a town of like a thousand people and um, it's mostly a one intersection town. So it's like, you know, very quiet, you know, even though you're right by Silicon Valley, it's mm-hmm. like this sleepy oasis. It kind of reminded me of like the North Woods of Wisconsin, except yeah. that it's Redwoods and like, you know, lower mountains and the ocean's 10 minutes away. Right. right. And so I did a bunch of writing there, you know, I was in my writing fellowship and then it's like, all right, if I'm going to uh, make something, like, I don't want to reinvent the wheel. I don't want to try to find something that is too ambitious for me to pull off. Like, you know, I wanted to have, like, some production value. I wanted to look like yeah, I had more money than I did, but I needed to be, like, really realistic about it. Yeah. Um, like, Rebel Without a Crew, like, a lot of filmmakers have read, you know, Rodriguez's book. Um, I really took from that, like, you know, write for what you have and not for what you want, like, mm-hmm. you know, early on. And so just kind of play to your strengths and... Um, that's kind of how it happened like you know with this movie I just was tired of waiting and then I found a story that I could tell that I thought I could do like fairly well and do it inexpensively and then do it in this kind of sleepy you know community where I could hopefully get a whole bunch of community support because right. it's so small and, and I, was, I bet that you did I did yeah, yeah which is really great which is something that we've, we've brought up on the show a few times uh, for like our audience that is in Wisconsin that has mm-hmm. no like no guidance as to how to do this like you kind of can use that to your advantage because people want to participate and help. Yeah, I I was very fortunate that people in La Honda, you know, even though it's California, it's still, it's not LA. No one's like, you know, doing stuff like this. Which is so crazy. Like, like when I first moved to LA, I was like, oh my gosh, all of, all of Los Angeles, all of California is Hollywood. But you go like 20 minutes north of like where we are right now. And we're like, you're in Chatsworth and they don't, they don't care. 
Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, it's just like, you know, there's farmland around here. There's yeah. just, you know, there's people who do, I mean, LA has every single job in the world that you could imagine. And yes. so even though, yes, there's a bunch of people doing film here, They're there's more people else. who are doing everything else. And yes. it's just like, oh, I like movies. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They're like, oh, wait, they're, they're shooting. It's more of like a nuisance then. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's like, oh, those filmmakers are out there doing it again. So, yeah, utilize your resources, use what you have, write for what you have, and film with what you have. And I think that mm-hmm. you said that on your website there that you were like thinking in the writing process of, well, this is what I have at my disposal. So, let me make this kind of movie. Yeah, exactly. So, I looked at it. Um, I really wanted it to get like distributed. Mm-hmm. And so I had some other ideas that I felt like I could have written to go along with it. But um, if you make a movie, you want to make like another one. And the yeah. only way to make another one, unless you're just rich and it doesn't matter. Um, is to make money off of this is one. Is to at least get it out there, like show people that you've done it. And so mm-hmm. I kind of did the market research and it's like horror or thriller are the two things. If you don't have actors that everyone recognizes and mm-hmm. if you don't have like, you know, a big um, budget, um, but you went film noir. I did. And so I went like, you know, kind of the thriller aspect, but did like, you know, noir storyline just because I've always liked uh, noir and I've always um, just particularly like that genre. Yeah. Like, unfortunately, I, I didn't have, you know, the time and the resources to give it the look that I ideally would have wanted to mm-hmm. do for noir. But I definitely kept with the story points, like yeah. you know, very much along uh, the tropes. And so I own a ton of movies. And so I watched, I want to say somewhere between 20 and 25 of the noirs that I have. And I just took notes and like, okay, what happens and when, when are these people introduced? Like, you know, Mm -hmm. when is the first person like who, who dies? And so it's different every single story, but it was just trying to, with my science background as a way to like, kind of do like pattern recognition. It's like, okay, this seems to be the time that you should introduce, you know, this sort of character. And Mm -hmm. this should be the time that, you know, this happens. And, you know, this is like when you should see your first death, that's not part of the central aspect of the story yeah um, and there's definitely something to that like and i think that's really great advice for anybody who's trying to write a kind of movie is research that type of movie take some notes and like look for some patterns you don't have to necessarily go with that but you can utilize that to your benefit yeah i've always felt like um structure is really helpful you know with right and maybe that's just because like how we like mm-hmm. we're taught and you at also USC. teach screenwriting and i do teach screenwriting yes. as well like um at yeah, i came back to usc um yeah and um so it makes a whole lot of sense to me, but I also feel like, you know, structure, like, you know, really helps like free up the story because it gives you kind of like signposts that you're supposed to, you can get there any number of different ways, but mm-hmm. you know, there should be, it's like when you're skiing downhill, like, you know, you know that there's these marks that you have to get around right. and you can do whatever in between there. Yeah. Whatever you want in between there, mm-hmm. but you got to hit those marks and then like, you know, just continue like downhill of the yeah. story. Like you got to plan for 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 the fun yeah yeah you hit the 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 posts on the way down the hill i like i love the skiing thing yeah that's awesome cool so let's take a look at the trailer for live or die in la honda
must admit, the sparks are pretty exciting. Come to La Honda. Awesome. That is Live or Die in La Honda. You can watch that all over the internet, Amazon, iTunes, a whole bunch of other places that you can uh, stream that. So definitely check it out. I was super impressed, first off, by how good it looked. Like, oh, thank you. You're a cinematographer. Did you do cinematography? No, somebody else did that. No, uh, Mike Rivalvalki uh, like, was the DP. did it. Yeah. It was so good. And then, like, that really, for me, just, like, kept me in the story. Oh, I can't wait for him to see this interview then. Yeah, well, like... <laughs> You guys have beef? No, uh, no, 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 no. no, okay. no, no everybody, I loved no, it. Just, I thought like, it was you know. beautiful. Like, there's one shot in particular where he's uh, he's sitting on the beach and the sunset's happening, mm -hmm. and it's just like, the, of course, the sunset's beautiful, but it's hard to capture something. Like, I film things, and it's hard to capture that and see the guy as well. And like, I was like, this guy knows what he's doing. Yeah, whoever's doing that. So yeah, yeah, Mike's, fantastic. Find. Mike's great. Like, you know, one of uh, the harder working people that I've ever you know mm -hmm. come across. Um, yeah, he's Bay Area crew. Uh, most of the crew ended up being from the Bay Area. Nice. Um, and um, he came as a recommendation um, from another filmmaker who's up there, uh, a guy named Ryan Baxter, who has a great movie called Green is Gold mm -hmm. um, that is all over the place. Like, you can check it out on, on Netflix. Um, really good movie. And he is, like, friends with my brother-in-law. And so we met, and then he was kind of my connection to people in the Bay Area. And he mm -hmm. introduced me to Mike because Mike shot his movie, um, Green is Gold. Nice. And then... It ended up being, I want to say, five or six people who were on Green as Gold ended up like coming onto my movie. Oh, good, because just... they grew up, they they stick together. Yeah, yeah. Um, like two of the actors that are in my movie, mm -hmm. um, like wearing Green as Gold as well, and nice. so yeah, it just yeah, it worked it's out. Good. And they already have like a way of communicating with each other, so that's kind of nice to do. Another thing, production-wise, that I was really into was the editing, and you used a lot of split screens in there. Mm -hmm. uh, was that a choice because of noirs, or was that you? Was the editor brought that, and you're like, I like this. That actually came later. That's mm -hmm. a perfect example of how like the final rewrite is um, in the edit. Mm -hmm. um, and so the very beginning how the movie opens up was not how it was originally written. Mm -hmm. And so um, changed that a little bit. And then um, because we were so limited with our crew and equipment, um, so Mike and uh, his partner Elliot, who was uh, the gaffer on this, um, they had um, a grip truck that um, they owned for a while until it recently died. <laughs> um, but uh, so we had like a decent amount of equipment, but not like, you know, a huge amount of, I think it was like a two ton, like, you know, grip truck, which is good for us. But like, we had no dollies, like, you know, we had like, you know, very, very little in the way of stuff because we just didn't have the time to get, yeah. it, to get it done. Um, and so with that said, you know, you just got to, you know, improvise, like, you know, as you... On the fly? You have to yeah. film stuff on the fly, like yeah. the title of our show? On the fly. <laughs> I mean, like, it was always, like, there were storyboards, and we had everything kind of, like, you know, planned out. But, you know, it was it was limited in terms of what we can do, because it was Elliot as the gaffer, and then uh, Danny Lorch was the key grip, and then that was it. 
like we had two ACs, like, you know, our first AC that had just graduated from high school. And then the second AC, um, she was still in college, you know, at the time. And so we just kind of made do with, you know, what we had yeah. and just kind of roll with it. And we got a good camera, but, um, yeah. What did you guys shoot this on? Uh, red Epic. Red Epic. Yeah. Good camera. And mm -hmm. you know, you got to have somebody who knows how to use these things. Yeah. Yeah. And Mike fit that bill. Yeah. That's good. And then like, it, it seems like the rest of your crew seemed to work really well together. Uh, did you yeah. have a very, very big crew? It wasn't that big. I would say um, it, it fluctuated a little bit during mm -hmm. the main time, but I would say like about 18 to 20. Like, okay. um, and for most of the crew, I would say, I mean, it's true for the cast and the crew. I mean, there was five or six professional actors that I, you know, hired on this, but otherwise all the other people that you see in the movie, it's the first time they've ever been in anything, you know, not just like a feature, but like a short or, yeah. you know, period. Mm -hmm. And the same with the crew. Um, there was about five pros, like, you know, who hadn't had, you know, time, but, you know, true with low budget filmmaking, you take favors where you can get it. And so yeah. there was a number of years that I um, taught to support myself, like, you know, before I could be solely like you know a filmmaker and I actually brought on former students of mine who were in college yeah um, and in most cases they had never done what they were gonna do before but um, I just knew that they could do it right so, um, for some of the experienced crew at first it was a little bit of a like reality check is like I remember the the AD um, he was coming he was one of the few people who came up from LA and so our, our first AD came up and he had never met me or anyone else and it had been the first job he'd been on in a, in a while mm -hmm. um and so when he was calling like you know the second ad she's like well i'm in college i haven't really like done this you know before yeah. she's done some stuff so when he called you, the script supervisor me? he's just like i've never i don't even know what a script supervisor is but yeah um but i knew like you know like in roy's case who was our scripty like you know i had him like you know with my science background i taught some science i'm like Roy, I've seen your physics notebook. You can be a script supervisor. Like, right. You just take it, you wow. know, a little bit of time and you can like, you know, learn this. And that's how it was for a lot of people. I think I had seven former students on this and I just put them in roles because I got to see them in the classroom. I'm like, okay, you can do this. You can do this. You can do this. I know I'm going to need this. And a couple other people like, you mm -hmm. know, floated. Um, so it really was just a bunch of rookies who really didn't know what they were doing. And down to my mom and my mother-in-law, like, were the caterers and, like, were there for, like, you know, the whole time. Yeah. And, oh, my um, gosh. Moms are so good for that stuff. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes, indeed. And even, you know, my mother-in-law's dog was there. And, like, mm -hmm. he's such a, like, a lovable guy. So, we yeah, we had a set dog as well. That's awesome. And, yeah. and that's uh, something that folks that live in, in cities that don't have crew, like crew that you would typically look for like you can't go onto craigslist and look for your first ad but you can call your friend that's really organized mm -hmm. you know and, and you can work your crew around that way you can i mean i every position i mean to be clear it's better to have pros in every position but yes. you don't always have the luxury yeah and you don't so, have that option so i looked at it and like i knew that i wanted an ad like who was a pro the dp obviously mm -hmm. a sound person and uh a gaffer mm -hmm. and as i'm going through I mean, Danny had done some grip work, um, but other than that, and like our stunt coordinator, um, yeah. like I think everyone was just a rookie, like you yeah. know, the first time that they were doing this. That's great, and I think there's a few different guests that we've talked to when we we talk about their their introduction into filmmaking. They were doing something completely different, and somebody that they knew were making a project, and they're like, you know, I think you could do this, and then it turns into a whole career for them. So you could change lives. Uh, well, that's the hope. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we had a good time, you know, regardless. Yeah. Okay. So on your website, on the main page, there's a, you have one little post that's about how you shot the opening with five people. Yes. So talk to me about that experience. So 
shot the opening as kind of a proof of concept mm -hmm. and I knew and I wasn't even done with the script yet I had the general idea and we shot that a year before we shot the vast majority of the footage and mm -hmm. so it was a way to um, put together a little bit of a proof of concept have an opening that I knew wasn't going to involve the uh, main actors and get that to like drum up some interest and I ended up using it for my crowdfunding page and mm -hmm. I used it you know for some other people just to show that okay here's what it looks like up there because again, you can say it, La Honda, you can say Silicon Valley, Santa Cruz Mountains, and it doesn't like until you actually see it. it it's yeah. it's different. You don't feel that this this weird mountain town feel right. Like it's it's really and and having a proof of concept as your opening is not something that's like strictly to indie films. Like Deadpool did that. Sure. You know, like sure. having something short like that can actually help you get your funding. Like you can you can get together and make an opening. Yeah, and that's what I did. And so like um so all the motorcycle footage because I knew that like ideally you want to do this like you know where you're um you have the budget for like you know union like safety regulations and you can like hire police officers to like you know shut down roads and everything and we just didn't have that and yeah. so partly it was just to keep like a small like you know footprint because you know as uh the footage shows and we have a whole bunch more driving footage than like what the opening shows it's it's a two lane road that switchbacks back and forth like you know up uh, into the Santa Cruz mountains, like, you know, through Redwoods and there's yeah. a lot of blind turns. And so you just don't have places to actually be. And so mm -hmm. part of what I was doing almost like shot listing, cause I had to drive that all the time. I would go up and anytime I, you'd go over the hill and come back down, that's the way that's right. the one road. Um, and so I just started paying attention. Like, okay, well we could pull over here and then like, this would look nice and we can do this and this would look nice. And so it really was, um, uh, Ryan, the guy who uh, did Green as Gold, and so it was his camera, and then he shot some of that. So it was just kind of so he did shoot a, like a little bit of footage, okay. like you know, with the motorcycle stuff. Mm -hmm. um, and then um, the sound guy was the local uh, postal worker, uh, <gasps> Jack Mullins, who has like a small role in the movie. He's one of the bar flies, and okay. then you see him. He's got a song in the movie, and then you see him performing with his band at the end. Yeah. And I put out like a little um, blurb in the monthly newsletter, the La Honda Voice. Um, and he was one of the first people to reach out to me. Um, it was him and, uh, and Donna Pachon. And so she's got the house with all the artwork that's featured in, in the story. Mm -hmm. And then, so like two people who ended up being like, you know, huge helps to the movie reached out from this like little monthly newsletter. And Jack's a musician, he's done like some sound work. I'm like, I know you've never done like movie sound work, but I can get you a kit and I can get it to you the night before, play around with it, and just learn how to record the sound. Yeah. Um, and that's how we did it. So it was um, Ryan and Jack and me, uh, Ryan on camera, Jack on sound, and me. And then my buddy Tom was in a car around blind corners on walkie, just letting us know like if anyone was coming and if we needed to get out of the way. Yeah. And Tom also plays a small, he's one of the bar flies in the movie. Uh -huh. and he wrote a song specifically for the movie. It's like what opens and like closes the movie. Yeah. Um, it's this uh, guitar instrumental. Um, so like it, literally his first exposure to the movie was sitting in a car for the better part of 12 hours, just around <laughs> like blind corners. He'd just be like, we're good. That's we're good. rad. Um, and then uh, Daniel on uh, the motorcycle. Um, mm -hmm. And he was uh, a teacher that I was like, I couldn't find someone to do a motor. I, it wasn't, it's an important role, but it wasn't a huge role. And so... I wanted someone who was like old enough to be like responsible on a motorcycle, but like, you know, young enough to like, you know, play, you know, the part. 
and I just couldn't find anyone because the people who were young enough and like responsible like had jobs. Right. <laughs> so they couldn't come and do this because I didn't want to do it on the weekend because those roads are way too busy and there's so many cyclists. Right. It's a cycling mecca around there. So we wanted to do it crack of dawn on a weekday and to pull off like a lot of this stuff and then just kind of slowly make our way. And then fortunately, Daniel is a teacher and um, had summer off where he was getting paid anyway. Right. And he's like, oh, I haven't ridden my motorcycle in a while. This would be awesome. Oh, and that's like, great. And then and then it turned out he actually um, <laughs> looked like uh, Lily Bourdain, like our uh, lead actress, and they're supposed to be siblings in it. So it was yeah. kind of like a stroke of good luck. There. That's awesome. Yeah, so then, like, just all the pieces falling together. Yeah. That's great. So I, I love that you've mentioned even here, like, people that different roles and, and different people in La Honda contributed in different ways so i think it was really fascinating that the music is a lot of it from people who are in like musicians from la honda yes yeah how I, did you find them um i mean again la honda is a small town there's only like a handful of places to go you just, and... you just like i could imagine you walking through like the one intersection you're like hey what do you do like what's your art <laughs> okay great we're gonna use it there is a little bit of that like you know once you um once they get to know you i mean it takes a little bit of time um for the folks who like there's a joke in Lahana, you're not a local until you're there for um seven years yeah oh okay then then <laughs> uh, you really belong so this song that's playing now this is the one that's the yep. opening yep this is a uh, tango lahanda uh, La that uh tom romero mm -hmm. um wrote. And this one was custom for the movie yep this is the only one that was written specifically um for it and so yeah tom's like a, a good friend and um back when i was uh teaching like he he and daniel both teach at the high school where i was um working in the bay area while i was up there and tom's like a music teacher and yeah. so all he does is like you know play music and help like you know i don't want to say all he does but yeah. uh, like music literally is how he's made his career mm -hmm. and it was just uh like i showed him a script like early on and uh he's like he just i didn't ask him to write a song he just came back he's like I, this might work you know yeah. i think you know this might work for like in you know, the last scene and, and then i agreed and it was uh, really great like it sets the tone it bookends the movie mm -hmm. And I, I think it's really great that that was, like, if you're going to have one piece that was made specifically for the movie, it's a really strong selection. And the other mm -hmm. ones were songs, you said the the locations in the movie are real, like the bar. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, so when I was writing it, I didn't write any scenes in, because they're all real locations. And mm -hmm. so I didn't write anywhere in there until I spoke to the owner and got permission, like, uh, preliminarily, at yeah. least, uh, and said, I would like to do this. Would this be okay? Would you allow me to do this? And then we had to like figure out exactly like how I would you know make it work logistically. Mm -hmm. But like fortunately, they they were all like really great about it. They were all like you know really cool, and they said yeah, absolutely. So then when I went in, because I knew that Applejacks, for example, like you don't need a production designer to touch it. Like you know, it's it's, it's gorgeous. Yeah, like it's, it's perfect. It's this perfect little gem of a dive bar that you know used to be an old lumber mill that was built in the 1870s and now it sucked when people were walking on the floor and it blew up sound takes but yes. like you know there was so many other things you know that like you know worked with it mm -hmm. um and it's kind of like you know the town meeting place like you know that in the market like mm -hmm. you know across the street and so um i actually did a lot of work like sitting in a corner booth like an apple jacks yeah and um so yeah i mean that's there like sangra yeah. <laughs> and, there's, and there's my friend uh mandy mm -hmm. um so she's one of the non-locals. Like I grew up with Mandy, and um, I'm just like, this song will fit with you know La Honda, you know yeah. as well. Um, but otherwise, pretty much the entire soundtrack um, was people that I saw either playing at Apple Jacks mm -hmm. um, or the San Gregorio store, which is 
a really funky, I don't even know how to describe it because it's just so bizarre, but it also has a bar within this little tourist shop. And so that's like the first bar that you see like in the movie. Mm -hmm. uh, and then there's a couple different scenes that take place there. And so they always have music on the weekend, uh, like always like, you know, matinee music. And then Applejack's, the whole time I was there, pretty much every Friday and Saturday night, there was always music. And so um, especially when I decided that I was going to do this, then I really started looking uh, more focally to look at, okay, yeah. who would work for this? Like, you know, who might be, who would have the right sound for this? Because I wanted it to be like, you know, more like rock and roll, you know, a yeah. little bluesy rock and roll, a little bit of country rock and roll, mm -hmm. but, you know, rock and roll, because that's just more of like, you know, how La Honda is. And then it was just a matter of whether I thought that it would work for the movie and if I just liked it. And so I just started buying, um, like, you know, the local CDs of people. Um, how did you around. play it? What's a CD? I'm just kidding. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Um, and so, yeah, so like, you know, in this one, this is um, Bundy Brown and Bundy plays with a couple different, you know, bands in the area. But this is um, one with the Expresso uh, rhythm section. And uh, I knew that this is like the one song I wanted when Blake and Vic kind of reunite for the first time. Because yeah. I thought thematically, I mean, it's a fun, it's got the right like groove to it. But I also thought like lyrically it worked well for what like the scene was supposed to be about. Mm -hmm. And Bundy's like great, like he's low key. And I just remember the first time that I like formally met him because we met a couple of different times, but like formally met him was at a party at the Pachone house. And again, that's the house with all the artwork at the end. And we just got to talking and it's like, you know, asking, he's like, hey, sounds far out, man. Just let, just go, let just me know. Just like little hippie town that's <laughs> yeah. just like so game to be part of your movie. Yeah. Which is great. Like, has, uh, has there been any response yet to the movie from people of La Honda? Um, yeah, for the most part, it's been uh, favorable. I did do, um, there's only been two public screenings of the movie. Like, you know, one was the film festival premiere. Mm -hmm. um, and then the other one, I did a uh, benefit screening in La Honda, and we watched it um, outside under the stars. And yeah. then um, all the money went to the local elementary school. That's uh, amazing. That's where most of the, there's a bunch of fundraising things that happen there, and it's almost always either to the fire department or the elementary school. Yeah, pay uh, it forward. Because it, it seems like it's a real community of a place. You know, it's not... It's not just this little town that happens there. It's no, they've got a like, real community. Yeah, I mean, I, my wife and I were sad to leave. I mean, we knew we had to come back down to LA. You know, mm -hmm. it's just easier down here. But part of me was just like, I don't, I don't really want to leave because I just felt. Um, well, now I you're started, forever part of La Honda. Yeah, to to an extent, and like you know, I still go up there at least once a year. Like I was at the La Honda Fair, like um, the last two. They have an annual fair, and I'm mm -hmm. probably going to go up again. You know, this yeah. year. Um, and um, yeah, I mean. We were there for three years and like, you know, made some like uh, friends there and like, mm -hmm. people I'm still keeping in touch with and even people that I don't know that well. If I go to La Honda within five minutes, I'm going to run into people. Yeah, because it's just it's that tight knit. Yeah, it's like, you know, post office, market, Apple Jacks, if you're in that yes, little that, that's the, the, <laughs> triangle. The, the city circle. Yeah. Uh, so then logistically, because you're you're going to a place and you're asking for permission from like private business owners, uh, did you have to do much with permitting? Um. Yeah, I mean, to the extent that um, it's not like formal permits that like, you know, L.A., you know, mm -hmm. typically requires you to do. Right. Now you can get around it in L.A. because there's just so much going on, but it's better to have a permit. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, if you can get it and you can go the appropriate route, then, right. then that's great. But but up there, um, I didn't. What I what I did, though, and what you need to make sure to do if you are um, an indie filmmaker, and a lot of people forget this, is that you do need signed permission from, you know, the owner of, you know, the business or mm -hmm. the building. Um, and so in the case of, uh, you know, again, like Apple Jacks and Dewart's and uh, San Gregorio store were like, you know, the big ones, like, you know, in the area. And so it was just a matter of like, you know, having an agreement that 
know, states like this is what I will do. And like, if I break something, I'll pay for it. And, um, but you know, people up there are just like, cool, you can just come in here, you know, for the most, it was like, come here and like, you can shoot it for free. Just work around our business hours and make sure that like you put things back, like, you know, where yeah. you found them and like all basic stuff. But yeah, I mean, the biggest challenge was trying to shoot around like, you know, business hours mm -hmm. and trying to, you know, make that work. Um, especially at Applejack's because we are there for so many scenes. Right. And that's like a, a fully running bar. Like they open from noon to like 2 a.m. probably. Yeah. 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 Um, I mean, it's a little bit fluid in uh, the closed times, like if it's earlier in the week. Mm -hmm. um, but it was just something where for the overnights, because um, out of the 12 main days that we shot this, like six of them, we were in Applejack's for at least part of it. And then on the over overnights, I just had to promise that I would only be there like on a Monday or Tuesday mm -hmm. night because it was like a little slower. And then I still felt bad because like a couple of people that I would see there, like who are just kind of like, you know, the regulars, like would get in and they like get sent away. Oh, and they're like, <laughs> where are they going to go? There's no other bar. I mean, fortunately, they knew that it was like a, a short, like, you mm -hmm. know, um, you know, shoot. And so it'd be like a minor inconvenience. Um, yeah. But um, but yeah, I mean, I felt bad, you know, but we really couldn't get into Applejack's like and close it down until um, at 1030 at right. the earliest. Mm -hmm. um, and then there's nothing you can do about the sun coming up and so with yeah, certain things and, right and so there's enough windows in the bar and so we didn't have the amount of crew where we could just black out everything and mm -hmm. so we just had to hustle yeah. um and just really you know make it you know work and so we could get away with some of the exteriors of apple jacks while i was still open um but as soon as we had to go interior we had to you know shut it down just for legal reasons you can't mm -hmm. be serving alcohol while stuff's going on yeah not to mention a bunch of my crew was under 21 so yeah. it oh, so yeah. it couldn't be legally open yeah um and then one of the ways that got around that is like my regular bartender um pat um i just arranged with the owner and said on these overnight shoots you know you're gonna want someone who like you know looks over the bar can we have pat yeah uh, and uh, I got to know Pat fairly well, and he's got a small role in the movie as that's well. That's great. He uh, made it in the movie. That's right. He's he's one of the Applejack's bartenders. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, so that's that's how we did it. And so, and it was like Pat, like, uh, was born and raised in La Honda, so um, like you know everyone, you know, people knew who I was, you know, by the end of like you know there. But it was also just nice to have like, um, like you know, one of the the true locals, yeah. like, you know, who has like uh, been there for decades. That's awesome. Um, I love your yeah. utilization of the resources of La Honda. And like leading up to this, uh, you mentioned that you did crowdfund for this. So let's mm -hmm. chat a little bit about that. Uh, what did you do? So you used your opening sequence. Yes. Uh, as part of your crowdfunding. You you did Indiegogo? Yes. Cool. So how was that experience? Um, it was a big learning experience. Mm -hmm. like, had you done it before? No, I'd never done it before. Uh, I knew that people had been doing it. Um, at, when I first decided that I was going to try to crowdfund, all I knew about was Kickstarter, and then I just saw that there was a few other options, and I opted for Indiegogo because of their like flexibility. Mm -hmm. um, like Kickstarter is like an all or nothing, which has its pros and cons. Mm -hmm. But because I'd never done it before, like I wanted to set a goal, and I didn't want to be shut out if I didn't. Yeah. You know, like, you know, make it. What was your goal that you, you, I wanted to raise like, you know, 50,000. Uh -huh. um, and in hindsight, that was like way too high. Uh huh. Um, what did you end up making? Just under 20. Oh, that's still great. So it was still like a good um, start. But knowing what I know, like, I would have just set it for 20. Mm -hmm. um, and I would have hired uh, different consultants. Mm -hmm. So I hired some consultants and they ended up from my, just, it was a waste of money. Um, right. Just, but there are good ones out there. Like there when, are good ones. When you were on the show a few weeks ago, we had uh, the the team from Personal Space. They also do uh, crowdfunding consulting 
as well. Right. If I knew them at the time, I would have hired them without right. hesitation. So um, that's like, that was interesting to me because I didn't know that this was a service, Like, but I, I assume like everything is a service, but I had never talked to people who do that. And so, yeah, you want to like research that. And I'm sure that there's reviews and places you can reach out to be like, was this successful or not? So what was it about uh, the service you went with that didn't work? Well, it was kind of a classic sense of like, you know, overpromise and underdeliver. And mm -hmm. so it's like, if anyone asks you to pay up front, especially like an in independent filmmaking, it's like most of the time you should just run the other way. Yeah. Like you can't run fast enough. Mm -hmm. I mean, I understand like, you know, the standpoint of people who want to get paid up front because like they don't want to like, you know, work for nothing. Yeah. But I don't understand people who won't have any sort of like performance incentive, you know, that comes on this. Mm -hmm. And so with the company that I ended up going with, what they sold me on was they had ways to access like tens of thousands of people like, you know, that are in their uh, data stream that they okay. could like, you know, market to. And then if there was even like a 0.25% conversion rate that would easily get us to like, you know, what we had gone for. And yeah. it just ended up being not anywhere close to that. Um, I want to say that I had just under 300 backers and I went back and like tracked every single person who donated and what day that they donated and like all but like five of them I could track like from me sending an email or a text message or a Facebook message and like you know that's how it happened and then a couple people there's a town Yahoo group uh, or town email group for Lahonda so oh some gosh, people that I didn't adorable. yeah so some people I didn't know <laughs> and I thought that I was just getting them randomly I'm like oh no they I got them through the town you know um, email group and so essentially I got all the money, you know, raised for it. Um, and I could have just saved the money that I paid. I mean, it was the worst money I spent on the movie by right. far. Whereas if I would have gone with the people that I met later, they are performance based. And mm -hmm. so like, they're very realistic with you and they will take a commission of what you raise, mm -hmm. but they will not get paid until the crowdfunding right. campaign is over. And so they self-select who they want to work with. If they think that you're crazy and you're just not going to hit your goal, then yeah, they'll then either lower your you. goal mm -hmm. for you or they just won't work with you. Right. And so then in that case, you know that they're not just going to click buttons and yeah. just um, do a little bit of like, you know, work, maybe farm out some work to some interns and then just kind of check out and like, you know, cash your check. Right. So if you have like uh, two or three tips that you can give to our, our indie filmmakers at home for using crowdfunding, what would you give them? Um, during the campaign, it's a full-time job. Like mm -hmm. you're gonna have to do a lot of work on your own. You know, unless you hire people that you really, you know, trust and like, you know, are the right sort of consultants that will like actually manage your campaign. Mm -hmm. You should be expecting to do work on it every single day. And that's, you know, from responding, you know, like as soon as someone donates, you should send a thank you email, like, you know, pretty quick. Mm -hmm. um, and it's just like, you know, having like a strategy of like, you know, monitoring the page. Uh, number two, like create a whole bunch of content that should all be done before you launch mm -hmm. and so this is um like individual so not just like you know the big video that everyone looks at but supplementary content so whether it's um having a graphic designer do like you know gifts for you and to do mm -hmm. like you know other um you know jpegs and other you know just artwork that you yeah. can put on there whether it's having like you know small like you know interview clips with uh, key cast members or key crew members any of this stuff is like helpful because you want to put out something new every single day and ideally like, you know, maybe two new things every single day. Yeah. And you can recycle some of like, you know, the pictures that you put up, but you always want to keep putting it out there just to keep it fresh in people's mm -hmm. um, mind. And then three, 
really have a realistic goal of how, how much you can make. And so mm -hmm. part of it is you want to talk to people ahead of time because the vast majority of money that you make are typically in the first couple of days and the last couple of days. And then there's this big lull in the middle. So you need to have a bit of a strategy. And if there's some people who are going to be heavy hitters for you, for example, maybe have them hold off um, and give it like a shot in the arm, like, you know, when some of the days are lagging. Um, but um, yeah, I would say like those are, you know, the big ones, but it, yeah. it's a lot of work and mm -hmm. you should really talk to someone who's done it before and like, you know, has some expertise. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, yeah, and then I can't stress enough, if you have a consultant that wants to get paid up front, just, just don't, just don't just, do it. Just don't, especially yeah. if they don't want to change a legal agreement. Ooh. Yeah, that, that's that's a good tip there is like, look out for those red flags. You yeah. know, it's just like with with actors who are like getting with agents and they're like, the agents are like, cool, you're going to pay me this much for me to be your agent. I'm like, that's not how it works. Yeah, that's not how it works. Back away, back away as fast as possible. Yep. Awesome. So we haven't talked to anybody on this show yet about getting their show, their their movie onto like Amazon and iTunes and things like that. How has that experience been so far? It's been its own learning experience. Yeah. Um, like distribution is um, completely different than like filmmaking. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's filmmaking in the, in the sense that it's part of the business. Um, but it's something that I just kind of learned on the fly. Yeah. Um, and again, there's, I, I got some help with, you know, some reps who helped me, um, uh, get the movie in front of like, you know, different distributors. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think, you know, for the, this time through, you know, it was helpful cause I just, I wouldn't have known Exactly. I mean, I knew, I, I know a number of the distributors, but the, the people that I ended up going with, like, I didn't know who they were, you know, ahead of time. And it just ended up being like, you know, a good fit. So in my case, um, uh, my dist uh, domestic distributor, and so that's everything in North America, um, is a company called Freestyle Digital Media, and they are part of a, a larger umbrella. Okay. Uh, so they have um, a couple different parts of, of their company, but it's all like, you know, in, in film and distribution. Um, and so once they decided to uh, make an offer for my, you know, movie and I accepted, um, then it's their job to go take it out to um, the variety of different platforms. Mm -hmm. And then I knew right from the beginning that I didn't want to do a theatrical run. It was just too small um, yeah. with it. And I think a lot of filmmakers really want to see it like on the big screen because that's how we shot it that way. And that's how we want to see yeah. it. But but that isn't really how people consume their media anymore either. That's a big part of it, but it's also it doesn't make good financial sense because if you have um, a movie and you want to do like, you know, the traditional, like get it in for like, you know, a week in the theaters and then get it into 10 markets so that you can do, uh, there's certain like distribution, like, you know, markers that it hits. But most of the time you're just losing money on those 10 theaters because you don't have the marketing budget to get enough people out there to like, you know, make it, you know, worth your time. Mm -hmm. um, so I just looked at it. I wanted it like a, a strict, like, you know, VOD, you know, release. And I had done like a little bit of the research. I'm like, you know, it's, it's fine. Like, I'm very proud of the movie, um, but I looked at it from the get-go. And it's like, this is like a VOD release. Like, I don't want to make something and pretend that it's something that it isn't. Yeah. And so once Freestyle came on board, um, then, it, then it's their job. And so they are the ones who did all of the uh, negotiations with Amazon and mm -hmm. iTunes and uh youtube and yeah because i always wonder like where whatnot. where does it come up like how much your movie is you know like so i i saw you're up for 3.99 in most like yeah 3.99 or 4.99 yeah depending on yeah so like where does that get decided that's with the distrib distribution company right yes yes mm -hmm. so um for the most part there's just um 
I mean, most movies when you rent them are roughly the same price. Yeah. And so I don't know why they set my movie for a certain price, you mm -hmm. know, versus another one, but it's like within the ballpark. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, so that's, that's not me. And then, uh, yeah, so that's just freestyle um, for, for right now. And then I have um, a foreign sales team as well. And mm -hmm. so um, they were at Berlin, they're going to be at Cannes. And so I don't know what markets it's going to be in uh, yet, but it will be like, you know, in some like other worldwide markets, but yeah. that's again, like that's their job and they figure that out and um, I get updates as necessary. Gotcha. gotcha. So then uh, to, to now wrap us up here because you are a creative, you started in like a medical field and then you like, you changed careers, went into filmmaking, you're a writer, you're creative, you're a filmmaker, you're doing it now. What advice do you have for our folks like young you sitting in Wisconsin without the resources or understanding of what to do next? What kind of advice do you have for them? Um, First and foremost, I mean, it's something where you got to, like, go all in. Mm -hmm. I think um, I had just read something from, like, you know, Richard Linklater. It's like an old, you know, thing that, you know, he said. But it's just like he can tell, like, right away if someone's going to make it or not. Because he's like, it's like, oh, you kind of like movies. It's like you don't yeah. live and breathe. And so if, if it's not something that, like, you know, really it, it just rattles around you and just will not go away yeah i mean choose another job i mean as much as i love it and i love you know the process and like when you're actually making it it's like the greatest thing ever but so much of this business is like frustration and rejection and mm -hmm. so there's a lot of that so just make sure first and foremost you really want to do it yeah because uh, if you don't love it it's not worth it even if you make it huge it's just not worth it if you don't love it mm -hmm. so, now assuming that you do love it then just don't wait for people like you know make your like i'm very big robert rodriguez fan in the sense like you know make your own movie even if it's a piece of shit like go out and make you don't have to show people but you will yeah. learn something if not many things about doing you know this process and you know with that you know maybe you'll find some of your people and if not you'll gain experience and then sooner or later you probably i mean you can make something anywhere but it's probably at some point you're going to come out to L.A. Like if you yeah. really want to make a career out of it, this is the mecca of filmmaking, not just for the country, but of the world. And I know that you can go to New York and Chicago and there's and Atlanta is now like a big hub, mm -hmm. but it's all still centered in yes. L.A. There's the there's, decisions get made here. Right. Then they get shot out. And there's just there's just uh, so many people out here that you can network with. And um, I mean, it's a big, lonely city, like in some cases, but it also shrinks the longer that you get out here. And mm -hmm. so much of it just comes down to like almost all the opportunities that I've gotten has just been like through people that I've met and just like kind of random occurrences that yeah. like happen. Good. So be nice to people. Yes. This is what I say all the time. Don't wait for somebody to tell you you can do it. Yeah. Go do it. Yeah. And show up on time. That's... Show, show up on time. That's a really, really wonderful tip there. Yes. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for chatting with me again. Jeff, tell everyone where they can find you on social media. Um, find me on Instagram at uh, El Jefe Martillo. Yeah. And you can uh, find uh, the movie on the website, liverdyinlahonda.com, and check out the Facebook page, Honda. Yeah, awesome. Definitely check that out. You can see the movie on YouTube, iTunes, Amazon. You can also check out our show on iTunes. You can download the podcast. You can watch it here on podcast or on Popcorn Talk here on YouTube. And another great podcast for you would be Conversations with Maria Menunos. Of course, she's one who's ahead of our, our studio here. So definitely check that out and give her some love. And we will see you guys next time on On the Fly Filmmaking. From producers Maria Menunos, Kevin Undergaro, Phil Svitek, and the entire Popcorn Talk Network, we would like to thank you for tuning in. For questions or comments, be sure to visit popcorntalk.com. 
I'm Sir Richard Wentworth, and this has been a presentation of the Popcorn Talk Network. The views expressed herein are those of the hosts only and do not necessarily reflect the views of the Popcorn Talk Network or its owners or principals.